0: Hello, hello, hello! Thanks for joining us back again on Fear. We're diving deep into our characters' stories now: Tess's past and the details of why she came back to Park Heights; Zach's history with Lina; and, of course, whatever is really happening with Manjo and the Severance. First, this word from our sponsor. But, like any good horror story, there are more depths to discover. And in this case, that includes another POV that you might not be expecting. But I don't want to spoil anything. Why don't we sit back, relax, and enjoy Dark Heights, Episode 8. Bradley Ledler
2: I can't even say her name without shivering all over Tess Bellamy beautiful Tess it's almost time look in the mirror ask the question are you human are you sheep Are you a werewolf?" The mirror above the bathroom sink in this motel room is old, like something a person would find in their grandmother's house. Look at the ornate antique frame and Mother of Pearl. It's paint, the Mother of Pearl. It's fake. With my thumbnail I can scratch it, it flakes right off. That pressure on the nail driving against the top of the thumb, underneath the paint Particle board. Garbage. Nothing is made to be genuine anymore. Tess Bellamy. The first time I saw her, she was an actress in a play. I don't know why I went to a play, it's something I never do. Her role was Candy, a heroin addicted prostitute. I can't remember if she had AIDS. There was a gap. There was an empty space between the words that Tess was speaking and the plot of the play and who she was as a real person. Candy, the call girl, was bad. She was garbage. She was nothing. I could see very clearly that Tess was so much more. She was good. She was genuine. It couldn't be hidden. In the play, there was a bedroom scene, and she was in her underwear. And it was difficult to stop myself from going up there to cover her up with something. A sheet from the onstage bed, my own shirt. When she didn't speak, it was better. When people speak, it's always wrong. I can't stand it. Stop time. Get up from the seat and climb onto the stage. Put your arms around her. She died in the play at the end. It made me cry. I didn't understand why I had cried and I was standing in the lobby. Maybe I was standing there a long time. I had the program in my hand. It was one of those moments when I don't know what I'm going to do next and I feel afraid. Tess came out from a back room with another actor, a young man, and went through the lobby of the theater right past me. Now there was no wig, no makeup. She looked like herself. In the place, she had worn a blonde wig, and I knew it was a wig, but I couldn't picture what she looked like without it. Seeing her in the lobby, all at once, I knew who she was. She was Barbara Bellamy's daughter. I went to her and asked her to sign my program, which was shaking my unsteady hands. Oh, a fan, that's awesome, said the actor who was with her. Tess Bellamy smiled at me and signed the program with the pen I had given her. I wasn't breathing. At first it felt like I was in the presence of Barbara Bellamy when she was very young, when she was the most beautiful actress in Hollywood. But I could see it was more than that. Tess smiled at me. It was like looking inside someone and you saw light in there, you saw fragments of things that were sharp to touch, but that moved because you touched them, becoming brighter and brighter until everything is unbearable. All of my strength not to cry again, not to break down, fall to my knees, push my face into the lobby carpet. Born weak, my grandfather's wife says, born weak, die empty. That's life without Jesus Christ. The actor who was with Tess said something as they were walking away from me. Um, you know, that guy was really creepy, was what he said, not even trying to lower his voice. Stop it, she said back to him, hitting him on the arm. I considered following them, following him, the actor he had called me a creep what would he do when he woke up in his bed and I was right there beside him sitting in a chair the blade of the kebar knife flat across my knee and I would rise up from the chair and move toward him fast before he knew what was happening sir the usher in the theater was talking to me sir we're closing now I have to get you to leave if that's okay I let her go, even after what had passed between us in that lobby. What happened was this. I was called to duty. My application to the 3% United Patriots had been accepted. I was sure it was going to be since I had served faithfully with the California State Militia for some years. So I shipped out to Imperial County in the south of the state for illegal immigrant border patrol with the 3% Militia. My grandfather pledges allegiance to the flag. We salute. We are in a cemetery to honor the fallen. My grandfather's wife stands behind him and looks down at me. Her hands are pressed into each other so that the knuckles are white. The CO in that militia mission was a bully and a hypocrite. His call sign was Final Patriot. We all called him Captain Final. He took a disliking to me immediately. Hunter, he'd say to me. My call sign was Hunter. You do know, my man. We can all tell you'd crap your pants if someone really took a shot at you. Or he'd say, Hunter, what kind of call sign is Hunter? I had taken it from the most important series ever broadcast on TV. City Midnight. That call sign's not anything about your country, I can tell you that much. I don't know what you think about your country, and maybe I don't want to know. I think I had taken enough of his abuse. One night I had a dream that I was kneeling down over his bedroll in the camp, and I was holding my knife to his throat. And then I was dismissed from 3% the next day. They told me I had been observed by the camp guard that night standing over Captain Final with my knife while he slept. But I hadn't done it in real life. I had only dreamed it. It can be difficult to tell the difference. I know what really happened. This is the truth. Captain Final is a werewolf. It was clear to me from the beginning... Be careful, werewolves can tell that you know about their existence. My dream was received in their equipment, and they exposed what I was thinking and exploited the fact that I couldn't tell if I had done something or just dreamed that I did it. They forced me out of something I love to do, which is how they make us all feel like killing ourselves. The only way to expose a werewolf inside a human is to stab them and see if they bleed out black water. It's just like in City Midnight, when the hunters force a demon out from the victim's empty body, and they shoot it and stab it and all the bright light pours out of all the holes and takes the shape of the monster. A few years ago, this was before it was all shut down by the government, if you found the right chat rooms on the right servers, you quickly understood that City Midnight has taught us everything When I came back to L.A. after my dismissal from the 3% Militia, I admit that I was lost. City Midnight had been re-released on Blu-ray. I watched all three seasons closely, a few times through. Usually re-watching the show gave me some inspiration and renewed my sense of purpose. No, not this time. I found myself driving around the city with my camera using the telephoto lens to take close-up pictures of girls and young women from far away. It was something I had been doing for a while. I'm not perverted. It's not like that. I was looking for a bride, for union. Someone who wasn't sheep and, obviously, who wasn't a werewolf either. That meant she had to be a true human, like myself. True humans can always tell each other apart. I had to look over the photographs I took, look at them closely. Just because a young woman is innocent or pretty, it doesn't mean that they have anything inside of them. You're alone and you always will be, my grandfather's wife says. When you turn away from God, he turns away from you. And then I saw Tess Bellamy again. I couldn't believe it at first, but it was unmistakably her. It was my Tess. I filled the camera with pictures. I was breathless. I was nearly in tears again. She was walking in Grand Park with an effeminate man who wore tight jeans and had a pierced ear and a trimmed goatee on his face. One of those men who will be the first to die when we are tested. They were holding hands so I assumed it was her boyfriend. In how many countless ways could I have removed him? Amazing that I saw her again. I doubted it was real. I did. Then I understood. This was Convergence. In the last season of City Midnight... The demons are gathering in the city, and the agents of the Midnight Division don't know why this is happening until they learn that it's called Convergence. But they don't know what that is, and in the last episode of the season, they learn that the demons are gathering because Convergence means the end of the world. After that, the show was canceled. Nothing happens by chance. That much is certain. Some people would say that fate is the reason two people meet again. Coincidence? Fate? Some of us know that these are signs of convergence. And with convergence imminent, it was time for me to choose my bride for union. Or rather, she had been chosen for me. It was time for me to claim her. I took hundreds of pictures of Tess that day, followed them back to where they lived, she and her boyfriend. Spent many days walking past their apartment building or sitting in the car a block away or a few blocks away. I was never quite able to tell which garbage was theirs in the bins out back of the building. Months passed by. Every day I asked myself if I was ready for convergence, if I was ready to be tested, and every day I felt despair because I needed more time. I'm weak. I know that. God can't see you if you don't pray to him. I used to have to cut myself to make sure I bled red blood, to be able to know who I was. I'm beyond that now. But I look down at my USMC K-Bar, and I can see so clearly that its black blade slits a sharp line between everything real and all the lies. After some time, I was noticing that Tess came and went by herself, there was no indication that her boyfriend still lived with her. I wanted to be sure this was my opportunity. I hesitated. How do you know if you're ready? There's no going back from union. And then, just like her boyfriend before her, one day she was no longer there. I don't know how I missed it. I must have been preoccupied with planning how I would break into her apartment, what I would do once I was there. Tess Bellamy was gone. I had no way of finding her. Yet, I knew her. I knew where she'd grown up. I knew where she'd gone to school. I knew that her mother had been in the hospital. It was always in those gossip magazines. Barbara Bellamy's big breakdowns. So I geared up the same as I would for a militia mission.
0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. At the Evergreen Motel, the manager looks at my ID and says my name slowly out loud. I can't stand it. My unsteady hands throbbing, the fingers looking for the handle of the black knife. Bradley Ledler, he says, overpronouncing. People do that with my name. If I could silence them all. I pay in cash and go to the room. It's dimly lit and the bed sags in the middle where people have slept in extramarital congress. And the room smells like cigarettes even though the manager assured me it was non-smoking. The mirror over the bathroom sink is old. It's like something a person would find at their grandmother's house. I hate this place. There are hippies everywhere, teenagers skateboarding during school hours, two women walking together and holding hands. The diner has only vegetarian food. Where are the fires that we need to cleanse this country? Days have passed. I haven't seen Tess Bellamy anywhere. I admit that I might have been wrong... About her coming back home. It's late. I can't sleep. I bought a jumbo smoothie in the godforsaken diner, but it tastes like grass. I'm ready to give up. Oh, Tess. It's you. She's walking up to the door of the diner. How can everything inside me break so easily? She comes into the diner, walks right past my table. She has a friend with her, a slim blonde girl with a sharp face. This girl who's with Tess Bellamy, she looks at me suddenly. I have to look away. There's something terrible about her. She's a werewolf. This blonde girl... She's bad. She's a bad, bad thing. She's the strongest werewolf I've ever seen. Convergence. Tess doesn't know. I have to help her. What would happen if I took her away from the werewolf right here, right now? I can't. There's so many people around us. I can't do it here. It's not the time. What does it mean that the werewolves are around her? Are they waiting for me? Is all of this some kind of trap? I don't know what to do. I have to calm down. I have to leave. I make sure no one follows me as I make my way back to the motel. I go down wrong streets, double back, go too far, turn around. I'm close to certain that no one knows where I am. I'm paid in cash like I always do for lodging when I travel, so that no one can trace my location. When I'm safely in my locked room, I draw the curtains and look out the window from the side. For a long time, there's nothing to see. Then, there is someone. There is a young man on a bike too small for him, coming down the empty street toward the motel. He bikes into the motel parking lot. I am surprised to realize that he wears a wrestling mask drawn over his head. The same kind of mask they have in Mexico for their TV programs that make no sense. What is going on? What is wrong with this place? The young man in the mask goes into the room next to mine. I listen, but there's no sound through the walls. I don't think I'll sleep. I'll wait here by the window in case the werewolves know where I am and choose to attack. In the morning, I see the young man in the mask leave early before sunrise. He bikes his way up the street. What is he doing? Is he wearing that mask to protect his identity from me? Would I see that he's a werewolf? I decide to make sure there isn't surveillance equipment in that room next to mine. I have a set of lockpicks, but the door to the room isn't locked. I go inside. No different than mine, this room. The bedding is taut across the mattress, as if the young man didn't sleep in it. The same as mine. There's something spread out on the floor. It's a drawing or a number of drawings that run across sheets of graph paper taped together. I kneel down to look at it. A map of Park Heights... Drawn by a child. Square houses with triangle roofs. Stick-figure people. Crooked streets. It hurts my eyes to look at this map. There's writing on it. Descriptions of places, but the letters are backwards and bent, and I blink but I can't read what they say, and I have to turn my head away and close my eyes because all at once I'm dizzy as if I've been falling into the map itself. Whirls of color spiral through the black behind my squeezed shut eyes. I feel sick. I force myself to look back at the map. And this time, I see that there's a house. Surrounded by crudely drawn puffy trees and it shimmers. I can't be sure, but the letters beneath it shift and blur and then, suddenly... I can read them. Tess lives here with her mom. A shudder goes through me. That's my Tess Bellamy. I know it. She lives there with her mother, Barbara Bellamy. I leave the room and get into my car and I drive. I feel sick. Turn down the street that was indicated on the map. There's the house, separated from the others on the street by all the trees. The front yard looks more like a forest than someone's property. Some sort of ugly metal and marble sculpture juts out from the ground by the driveway. I shake my head sadly. What's the point of art when the world is about to end? Parked in the driveway up by the house, there's an old station wagon. I wait for my Tess. She comes out of the house and gets into the station wagon. I close my eyes. Much later, Barbara Bellamy leaves the house and gets into a taxi. I can't believe it, but she's hardly aged at all. I thought her hair would be gray and her face would be like a mask, but her hair is just as long and black as when she was young, and her face is beautiful. I think I may claim them both for union. Tess Bellamy first, then her mother. Suddenly my head explodes. I have had a headache ever since I looked at that map. It's getting worse and worse. Now it's so intense I can't see anything. It makes me howl in pain. I pound my hands on the steering wheel over and over again to make it go away. I have to go back to the motel room. I have to close my eyes and sleep. When I dream, it's a dream about the basement. My grandfather's wife speaking to me from the other side of the door. How many animals did you kill? I hear my grandfather farther away, watching football and TV in the living room. Pray, Bradley, pray to God to let you out, she says. My fingernails snap and splinter when I shove my hands into the sliver of space beneath the door where the weakened light from the living room seeps through and touches my face and hands with falling shapes in blue and green. I believe this headache, this pain. I believe it was a psychic attack. I believe convergence is nearing and the werewolves have fixed their eyes on me. When I've hidden from them for so long, I am stronger than they think. I recover from the psychic attack, though it takes time. Certain hymns have restorative powers. I lie in the bathtub and submerge myself for as long as my breath holds. Then I sing Onward Christian Soldiers in the voices of my grandfather and my grandfather's wife. I repeat this for thirty-six hours. That's two sets of three sixes. It has to be soon. Soon I have to claim Tess Bellamy for union. Yet yeah, I'm weakened from the psychic attack. I have to wait. And I want to know where her mother is going in the taxi. The taxicab takes her and me following in my car to a place outside of the town or at the edge of the town, at the foot of the hills on which Park Heights was built. The sign out front of a security gatehouse that looks abandoned says, The Wellness Center. Barbara Bellamy gets out of the taxi and goes inside. The expression on her face is like the expression on the face of my grandfather's wife when she went to church every day, when she went to the confessional to talk to the priest. Stay here, Bradley. Pray until I come back. Don't stop. Don't you dare stop praying. I park my car in the lot and I get out. This place looks like some kind of hospital. I don't want to go inside, but I do. The receptionist at the front desk is a Muslim woman. She frowns at me, unfriendly. Then, something incredible happens. A man is standing there. He was talking to the receptionist, and he turns to look at me, and I see that it's Devin Hanlon, the actor. Yes, yes, it's Rorick Anderson, the protagonist of City Midnight, standing there. He speaks to me. Are you the tables and chairs guy I'm supposed to be meeting right now? If you are, you're late. I don't know what to say. It's Rorik, my idol, my hero. He's given me everything. Devin Hanlon has a long beard now, but I see in his eyes the same dignified, honorable, tortured soul. It's clear. It's the same as what he portrayed in Rorick Anderson, the cop with a tragic past pulled into the secret midnight division because he could see the demons hidden inside the emptied human bodies. You're not the table and chairs guy? He asks me again. For the gala at Arson? Is any of this making sense? I'm sorry, I say in a tiny voice. There is so much to tell them that I can't start anywhere. I don't know how to speak. I never have. I move away from the front desk. My heart is pounding. All of this convergence, with Tess, with Rorick Anderson, now here, actually right here in this building where I am, all of this is really happening. How can I be ready for this? A bulletin board on the beige-green cement wall opposite the front desk has community notices pinned over it, overlapped in profusion. I see an advertisement for the Wellness Center Fundraiser Gala at a place called Arson. Tickets are several hundred dollars and all proceeds go to the center, scheduled for a few nights from now. The event is called Nightfall. When I turn back to the front desk, Devin Hanlon is walking away with another man. Must be the individual he was there to meet. I watch him go down the hallway and take the man into an office. I'll see you again, Rorik Anderson. I leave the wellness center and go back to my car. Convergence. The end of the world. I have to prepare myself. That Pain, that's something in my head. Blink, the color spiked like shooting stars. Numbness. There's a girl leaning against the side of my car in the parking lot. I don't know what's happening. She can't be real. The truth, she's a projection sent by the werewolves. She's very young. There are two blue streaks in her black hair. I thought I'd say hello, she says. I don't know what to say to an unreal projection. You look like maybe you're not feeling that well, she says. Please leave me alone. She shrugs. Suit yourself. She removes herself from my car and goes past me. Then she turns back and says, I just wanted to meet you. She laughs. I mean, we'll be seeing lots of each other pretty soon. In the circle. I can't let this projection confuse me or deter me or make me slip. I ignore it. I get into the car and I drive. Fast. I have to prepare myself. I ask the Evergreen Motel Manager for extra towels. The Wellness Center Fundraiser Gala at Arson, which is the historical mansion situated in the hills above the town of Park Heights, how many people will be there? Hundreds of sheep watched over by werewolves. Rorick Anderson will be there. If I reveal the werewolves to him, he will have to act. He will have to trigger convergence. The werewolves won't come out unless you open up the empty bodies they hide in. I don't think there will be time for Union. I should put Tess and her mother to sleep. It would be merciful before convergence. Imagine their silence and stillness lying on the floor of their house and the trickling blood, emptied. But I can't risk being discovered before the gala at Arson. There are patterns I need to cut into my arms to protect me from the powers of the werewolves. I should have done this already. If I'd done it, I wouldn't be subject to these psychic attacks and projections just as I thought. The pain of cutting into my skin seems to shield me from the pain in my head. Everything is accelerating. When I handle the knife, I remember when my grandfather gave it to me, the USMC k bar that he carried in Korea in 1951. It has power, he said. You have to respect its power and my grandfather's wife watching as she wiped the milk glasses dry with the clean dish towel checkered red and white. The red square is more numerous than the white, two to one. How I love that knife. I cared for it, oiled it, made it clean, kept it sharp. My grandfather wouldn't say it, but I know he killed NKPA soldiers with it in the Battle of Imjin River. He didn't need to say anything. It was there in the way he looked at its edge. My grandfather's wife pushes me down. Repent your filth. Repent your sins. Everything comes together. Time stops. My grandfather's wife takes my glasses from my face and throws them to the ground. Sin is what blinds you. Sin fills your empty heart. When I kneel down to pick up my glasses, I see that one of the lenses is cracked. I drive to Arson on the night of the event. Nightfall. There are security guards at the gatehouse, and a high wrought iron perimeter fence protects the property. Drive past without slowing down. Take the car to the dead end of the road. Out of the car, quick to the fence. Only decorative. Dig with a spade beneath and dislodge two rods and I'm right through. Into the woods, knife in my hand. Later, when I make my move, I believe I will be able to use it on four or five werewolves before others stop me, before the security guards reach me. I wonder if that blonde girl, the werewolf who is with Tess, will be here tonight. Rorik Anderson will see me. I can do this. I can. I shouldn't be afraid. Where have you been, Bradley? Have you been out in the woods? God help me, someone's coming. Through the trees. Is this real? Knife in hand. God, it's Tess. Tess is coming to me. I don't know what's real anymore. Yes, it's her. It's her. It's her. After everything, here she is. She's here. Delivered unto me. Perfection of convergence. My grandfather's wife. The neighbor's cat was killed, skinned whole. The pieces were in their mailbox. I can claim Tess for union like I always wanted to, and I'll have the strength. She'll give me the strength to do this. All those missing cats and dogs in the town, Bradley. Tess's dress is too small, too tight. It has to come off. How many animals have you killed? did you bury them out in those woods she doesn't see me she looks tired she looks upset i can't imagine what she's gone through at arson a true human surrounded by werewolves i step forward i hear my voice do you need some help my voice is steady she stops she sees me her eyes are afraid Her makeup is streaked from crying. Oh, beautiful Tess, don't say a word. You're unhappy and I'll free you from it. Tonight, we're all free. All of us. For all time. It looks like you really need me right now. My voice is calm and quiet. But inside, there's a thousand sharp fragments of joy that cut open my mind so that all the light that was trapped spills out at last into every dark part of the world.
0: Normally, I would say not to trust the theories of deranged stalkers, but... Considering all the other supernatural elements in play, can we really be sure there isn't an epic humans versus werewolves battle coming? I love the idea of bringing in multiple points of views. If you think about it, most horror stories are written in the third person. You don't get a lot of horror stories written from first person experience. And what's great about using this Rashomon effect, um, you know, a story that actually uh, has multiple points of views, is um, you get contradictory information, you know, and you have a different perspective entirely. We're innovating the form here at Realm. But our detour into Bradley's mind has come to an end. Come back next time to see what Majo has been up to. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pun Bandu. Bye.
1: You're listening to Fear. Dark Heights. Created and produced by Realm. Your portal to another world. Listen away. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller, produced by Haley Wagreich, and executive produced by Molly Barton. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Audio production, sound design, and editing by Amanda Rose Smith. Original music by Chris Miller. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Fear is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton and Felicia Dominguez. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Fear by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.